Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com.
my 
you took our lives from the pit. We remember, we won't forget. Look at where we are now, look at where we were back then. We remember, we won't forget how you took our lives from the pit. We remember, we won't forget. Look at where we are now, look at where we were back then. We remember, we won't forget how you took our lives from the pit. We remember, we won't forget. Look at where we are now. through your spirit. Remember who you are in our lives now. Remember what you have done for us to bring us into a relationship with you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We know that it's by grace that we are saved and not by good works. We know that the work of God is to believe in the one that he sent. And that's you, Lord. Help us spend some time with you right now. Just fill us up with gratitude. Remind us that you're right here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the principle of causality is something that leads us to the idea of cause and effect. And cause and effect are things that we, is a principle that we use really to explain and understand just about everything that happens in our world. For instance, if a rock falls off of a cliff, the rock didn't just fall off a cliff for no reason at all. There had to be something that caused the rock to fall off of a cliff. And so we start to look at the causes for that rock falling, whether it's erosion or whether it's wind or whether it's rain or, or whether it's just gravity, whatever the, ta- the, the case is, there's a cause and effect to that rock that falls off the cliff. And this cause and effect, this principle of causality applies to really all the different fields of science. And scientists look at things that happen in our world, uh, right and wrong, whether they're good or bad, and try and figure out what is the cause for those. And it kind of creates their research as they try to find the cause for all the different events that take place. But cause and effect is not confined to the realm of science. We use cause and effect to try and explain and deal with what happens really in all parts of life. We use cause and effect as it applies to relationships. We use cause and effect as it it applies to our career. We use cause and effect as it applies to sports. We use cause and effect as it applies to our mental health, as it applies to our physical health. Okay, so for instance, if, if I step on the scales and I look down and I realize that I have put on some pounds Okay, that is an effect, and I want to figure out what the cause of that is. And so I back up in the timeline to try and figure out what's the cause that led to that effect that caused those numbers to go up. And what I begin to determine is that it's a possibility that the reason that that effect has happened is because I have fries with absolutely every meal, including breakfast. 
okay? Or I begin to recognize that it is caused by the fact that I'm going to bed at night with a bag of cookies or that I'm hydrating myself with Coke and that I'm not doing anything in my life other than sitting on a couch and watching TV and never moving at all. That's the cause that leads to the effect. Now that's cause and effect and how we can can deal with it, but then we have a choice to make. And the choice is, do I recognize that that's cause and effect and try and do something that that changes this cause so that it it impacts the effect so that I don't continue to have this happen over and over again? Or do I decide that this is not the cause that led to that effect? And therefore, I'm going to just continue to live the way that I'm living and eating the things I'm eating and doing the things that I'm doing with hopes that the results will be different down the line. Now, as a side note, this is an experiment that I have been pursuing for the last 30 years or so. Little to no success, by the way. But here's the problem with our applications of cause and effect. We tend to over-apply cause and effect to our life. And it comes down to kind of the details of life, and we apply cause and effect to even kind of the ebbs and flow of our day. And so if, if I wake up and I'm having a really bad hair day, okay, and you just can't get it to lay down the way you want it to lay down, or, or stand up the way you want it to stand up, or if, if you, you're kind of walking along and you trip over nothing in the carpet, and yet you fall flat on your face, there is cause and effect that's there, and our mind immediately thinks to ourselves, you know, that probably happened because life was going too well, okay? Life was going too well, and life needed to bring me down a peg or two to kind of even things out. Or we take cause and effect the other way, and we decide that if we will do enough good things, enough good deeds, then it will lead to rewards further on. And so the mindset that we have is that if uh, I will be nice to people, if I'll be polite to people, if I will say yes sir and no sir and yes ma'am and no ma'am and thank you and please, if I make sure that I tip at the restaurant and, and maybe even over tip a little bit and, and if I make sure that uh, I, I stop every once in a while to help somebody fix a flat tire, that if I will do those good things, then I will then down the road be rewarded with something good that happens for me. And the reverse is true as well, that if something bad happens to me, then all I have to do is kind of look back and find the bad thing that happened, and the bad thing that happened will kind of help me know why I'm now being punished. So we're rewarded for our good things and we're punished for our bad things, and that's the way that we think because that's cause and effect. But but here's the the problem. The problem is, is that those things all happen on the same timeline. So the good things that happen happen in the same lifetime, in the same month, in the same day, maybe, as the bad things. And the good thing that we did that we think caused the good thing over here and the bad thing that we did that we think caused the punishment over here, they may not have even happened in the right order of things, but we end up playing the matching game to try and figure out why we're experiencing this because of this bad thing that we did over here and why are we being rewarded for this because of this good thing that we did over here. And we try and play the matching game because it all seems to make sense to us, but it doesn't actually work no matter how hard we try. And the problem that arises in the midst of all of that is that we review our own personal files and we play this matching game 
that tries to determine that the specific good things that are happening in our life are happening as a result of this good deed that we did and the specific bad things that are happening in our life that we are suffering for are punishment for some bad thing that we did. And we end up over applying cause and effect to our life and it doesn't work. Because some things just happen. And they happen not because of other things. They just happen to happen after other things. And there's no connection no matter how hard you try. In the movie Jurassic Park, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character is a scientist that's kind of brought into the mix to kind of be the other side of reason in the whole discussion. And, and he claims to be a scientist from the chaos theory, okay, from the principle of chaos, which sounds like a completely made up realm and field of science, but it's actually real. And there's, there's people who study this and all kinds of scientists who are involved in the principle of chaos. And the idea is that there are things that just happen randomly. They happen without cause, with no explanation. And it's that randomness of those things happening that actually provides the constant that makes it all make sense. Okay. So it's really early. And it's really early in the week to be diving into all of this stuff. But all of it is connected to some questions that have come in over the last month. We're in this series called That's a Great Question and a whole bunch of questions kind of came in from the same angle of trying to understand and trying to make sense of suffering in the world. But if you had to kind of sum up all the questions that came in and, and they came from different angles and they came with a little bit of different flavor to them but if I had to kind of sum them up into one question it would be a question something like this. Why do children suffer in this world? And it's not only a really good question that leads to some, some very deep things, but it is also a question that is a barrier for a lot of people's faith. Like Chuck Templeton. Chuck was a former evangelist went around and, and preached about Jesus to thousands and thousands of people. In fact, he, he traveled with Billy Graham before Billy Graham was Billy Graham and um, was, was really the headliner of the uh, preaching evangelists to all those stadiums early on. But there came a point that Chuck would pinpoint in his own faith where he saw the cover of Time Magazine that had uh, a starving child in Africa right on the cover, bloated belly, ribs, showing through the skin. The child clearly probably was already uh, dead by the time the picture was on the cover. And he couldn't make sense of why a loving God would allow a child to suffer like that. He couldn't make sense of the God that he was preaching about allowing that to happen in this world. And he couldn't make sense of it to the degree that he not only stopped being a traveling evangelist, he became an atheist because he believed that if there's that kind of suffering in the world, there must not be a God. 
but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We saw questions come in that were questions like these. Why is there suffering in the world to people who don't seem to deserve it, specifically children? Why do children have to fight cancer and suffer? Why does it seem like so many children and their parents have to face the unimaginable? Those are very painful why questions. And they're made even more painful when, when you are the one who's living in them. But some of the why for those questions comes from our over-application of cause and effect. Suffering is all around us. Suffering is happening everywhere that you look, and yet what we tend to do is we try to apply cause and effect to the suffering that we endure or that someone around us endures, or that a child near us endures. And when we try and apply cause and effect, we can't seem to find the matching game to work out quite right, and life and this world seems unfair. And it's not that we believe that some people suffer and some people don't. We, we don't really go there. It just feels to us like the wrong people end up suffering the most. And if, if you're looking to scripture and if you're looking to the Bible for answers about suffering and the understanding of suffering, you don't have to look a lot further than the person of Job. Now Job, if you've studied your Bible, is, is a person that uh, lived through the era of the Old Testament and Job was someone who experienced suffering. In fact, he experienced suffering after suffering after suffering after suffering, and when you felt as though Job couldn't suffer anymore, he suffered a little bit more. And as Job went through that suffering, we kind of have this diary of Job's thoughts and words. And all those years ago, Job tended to view suffering much like we do, that there's a cause and effect to it. Here's Job's words from Job chapter 6. He says, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. Now that, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of suffering bearing down on his shoulders. But look at where he, he feels like the suffering is coming from. He says, the arrows of the Almighty are in me and my spirit drinks in their poison. It's an amazing statement by Job. Amazing that his view of his suffering and his view of the pain that he's going through and the weight that he's feeling is because God is very intentionally, very personally, very individually, very specifically shooting poison arrows at him. But that's inevitably how we view suffering that God is, in fact, punishing us. That when there is suffering, it is punishment. That when there is suffering, there is some cause for which we are suffering the way we are. And if that's not what suffering is, then we also are led to the idea that there must not be a God if there's that kind of suffering in the world. And we've decided that that equation makes sense 
but it doesn't. You see, suffering is not punishment. One of the follow-up phrases that came in the questions that I received was, was really insightful and deep and kind of leans into this cause and effect mindset that we have. The follow-up statement was this, I get why we as adults suffer. I understand the world is fallen and we welcomed sin into the garden and now we are paying the price of a fallen world and doing all we can to fight for joy in the midst of brokenness and suffering. But why kids? It's it's a really important follow-up statement and question because it speaks to this this idea of cause and effect thinking, but it is both right and wrong thinking. There's no doubt that the suffering that we experience in this world, that all of us have in our lives, is not what we were ever intended or expected or anticipated having in this life. It was never expected for us that we would experience that suffering, but when we disobeyed and we ushered in this era of disconnect between us and God, God told us a list of suffering that was going to happen. He told us the list of things that would be part of life in this world, in in his creation, from that point forward. The list included things like painful childbirth and a separation of hierarchy between men and women and labor and hard work just to maintain life on earth and sweat and anguish and aging and illness. And all of it was brought on brought into our world and into our lives from the moment after the fall. But it was not punishment. It was causality. The world, the way that God intended it to exist, was gone because of us. And now there had to be a new experience of life on this planet, and now there had to be a new experience of our relationship with God, something that was different than what he originally created that couldn't work anymore, it wouldn't work anymore because we ruined it. That's cause and effect. But as I mentioned before, we have a tendency to take it deeper and more specific and more individual than that, and we tend to take the principle of causality to every moment of suffering and every discomfort that we experience and decide that if we're experiencing this difficulty, if we're experiencing this discomfort, if something is frustrating us, if something is painful to us, then there must be something in our own timeline that it matches to. But it doesn't work that way. If that were the way that life works, then how do you explain the life of Jesus? Jesus lived a life that was full of pain, full of suffering, full of disappointment, full of frustration, full of anger at the things that were happening around him and to him. And it wasn't just the cross, it was all the way through. Jesus suffered and he felt heartache. And Isaiah said about Jesus these words. He said, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. And yet he was the perfect Adam, 
He was the one who did absolutely nothing wrong, and yet he knew suffering, and he knew pain. And so the idea that our pain and our suffering is somehow connected to some event that has led to this event, when we are going through a bad time, when we are going through suffering, when we are experiencing pain, that somehow we can look back and find this moment in time that is the reason and the cause for why we are experiencing suffering and pain, it doesn't make sense. And if you need evidence of that, all you need to do is see the life of Jesus. But we live in a world that is not what it was supposed to be. And we live in a world that is broken because of sin. And there is suffering that is happening in the world because of this brokenness. Because the world is spinning in ways that it was not supposed to spin. But that suffering is not specific to your individual moment or your individual events or your individual causes. Suffering is the effect of a fallen world. But we, we struggle to hold on to just that idea because we're far more comfortable believing that adults live lives and the longer they live, the more opportunity they have to do wrong things, to do bad things, and the more bad things they do, then it makes sense that they would suffer and that they should suffer more than children suffer. But you see, suffering is just in the atmosphere. Since the moment of the fall, suffering has been the air that we breathe. And that may seem like a really oversimplified explanation for suffering. Or maybe it's an overly complicated explanation for suffering, but it applies to so many of the questions that we have. That there is suffering that is part of this place. There are questions that have been asked for centuries about this idea of suffering. There were questions that were even asked of Jesus that were also asked in the last month. Questions uh, that, that said something like, does God punish the children for the sins of their parents? Because what we do is we see that children are going through suffering and children are going through pain and we can't back up enough in their timeline to find the thing that caused this particular pain and suffering. And so we back up a generation and decide that there must be something in the parents' timeline that led to the kids' suffering. But if we can eliminate the need to constantly build a timeline and play the matching game to find how this suffering that we're going through is matched up with something bad that we did or this uh, positive event that's happening in life is, is a reward for something good that we have done. Then we can begin to understand that suffering isn't punishment. Suffering is simply in the atmosphere and it is part of this broken world in which we live, but suffering happens. And when suffering happens, one thing is inevitably true, that it hurts, that there is pain, which takes us right back to the garden, 
where God promised us that, look, the way that the world is gonna have to function now is with pain and sweat and struggle and suffering from the effects of us ruining paradise. But paradise has not been lost. Everything that has been done over time because of our disobedience, okay, because of your disobedience, because of the generation before you's disobedience, because of the disobedience that we read about through history or that we read about through scripture, all of that kind of compounded pile of disobedience, all of it will be undone. J.R.R. Tolkien um, wrote the masterpiece trilogy, Lord of the Rings. And in the third book, near the end of the whole story, in the book Return of the King, um, there's two characters, and whether you've read it or not, hopefully this will make sense. One is Samwise Gamgee, and Samwise is not the smartest of characters throughout the whole story. He's naive, and yet he's also unbelievably innocent. And he's talking to Gandalf the wizard, who is almost all-knowing. And Sam's very confused here at the end of the story because he saw Gandalf die, and now Gandalf's back. And it doesn't make sense to him, and he's trying to make sense of the pain and the suffering that he's endured. And, and, and he says this. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes, it is. In fact, that's a, a perfect depiction of paradise that was here, but now waits for anyone who will follow Jesus. See, it's not just that suffering will stop. Okay? Many of us look forward to heaven because the suffering will be gone. But it's not just that suffering will be gone, although it will, but suffering will actually be healed. It will be reversed. It will be undone. All things sad will come untrue. C.S. Lewis had this wonderful line in one of his um, allegorical books and writings. He said, that is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And it's already started. Heaven has already started by taking the symbol of the cross. The cross that was known for its violence, for its hatred, for its injustice. And turning it into a symbol of triumphant love and victory. And the anticipation that we have of heaven is already beginning to change the weight of suffering into the weight of joy that is to come. 
but that weight that we feel is not easily transferred. See, until that weight of suffering is removed, and it's not gonna be removed until heaven, but until that moment comes, we are still left to deal with the weight of suffering. We are still left to carry the weight of suffering. But some of that weight, especially when we're talking about children and we're talking about cancer and we're talking about the unimaginable, some of that weight seems absolutely impossible for us to carry. It is too heavy for us to suffer alone. And so whether we can come up with exactly our little matching game where we try and figure out our cause and effect, whether we've labeled it as unfair or not, there is a weight to that suffering that we cannot carry alone. And so it seems unfair. But Jesus never promised us that if we follow him, suffering would stop. In fact, he he even made the case for the fact that if we choose to follow him, there will be additional suffering that we will have to endure. But even though he didn't say that we wouldn't have suffering, what he did promise is that we would not suffer alone. And God has had in mind the idea of cause and effect all the way through. When God saw and knew that we would disobey and that we would ruin the paradise that we would get a glimpse of here on earth, he would send Jesus as a savior who would offer us forgiveness, who would offer us grace, who would offer us mercy, who would lead us to paradise again. Cause and effect. And he knew that that time that we spent here on earth enduring it all, that the weight of that suffering, waiting for heaven to arrive would be too much for us to bear and carry on our own. And so God created the church. Cause and effect. And there is some of that weight of suffering that is lifted in this moment that we share together right now. When we come together and we sing songs and we smile at one another and we see people that we haven't seen all week long and we we experience this moment where our hearts and our minds are connected and reminded of this vertical relationship that we have with God, it's in this moment and in this hour that that weight is lifted for just a little bit. But there is more that was meant for you. We need one another to help carry the weight of suffering. Introverts and extroverts alike need spiritually significant relationships to help carry the weight of suffering in this world. It's why over the past few weeks, you've heard us kind of ramping up towards this. It's why we have been emphasizing life groups as we come closer and closer to the beginning of September. And the reason is, is that we believe that life groups are the best vehicle 
for spiritually significant relationships. It's not that this is the only way that you're gonna have spiritually significant relationships, but I believe that it's the best way to be with people with whom we mourn and with people with whom we laugh and we cry and we pray together and we celebrate together and we can just be. Because more so than really any other time in our own history, we are in a, a cycle right now where we feel like we have to be on all the time and we can't be ourselves and we can't let on how we're feeling, we can't let on what we're thinking, and we can't let on what's running through our head because it might offend somebody. And we need a place where we are known, where we're known for who we are, and we're known for what we believe, and we're known for, for where we're coming from. And we're known there because with those people we're doing life together. And in those places and in those moments, we are in spiritually significant relationships. So much of the suffering that has been part of my life in the last 18 months or so was only manageable because of the spiritually significant relationships that I have in my life who were family for me. Stacia and I are in a life group and it's a life group that is filled with relationships of people where we lean on each other and we help each other and we text each other, we call each other, we check on each other, we ask questions with each other. And I love worshiping with you all, with all of us together. But it's the people in my life group that are the people that are helping me carry the weight of the world sometimes. And I want that for each of you too. I want you to have connections to spiritually significant relationships. And it's not that everybody in your life group is gonna kind of carry an equal role in helping you carry the, the weight of suffering and the weight of this world, but it's in that place, in those life groups where those relationships exist. And so in just a few weeks, we're giving everybody the opportunity to make those connections in life. By, by joining together for just six weeks is all we're asking of you. Six weeks to join together in a life group. And this isn't one more thing, okay? It's not another program, and it's not that we're just trying to ramp up numbers in this ministry that's been going on. These are the relationships that God intended to help you with the mess of this world. And how do I know that this matters? How do I know that this makes sense? How do I know that, that life groups are significant? But when we don't have those relationships, and I watched it happen this past year, without these relationships in our life, we get suspicious. And we get hurt. And we get disappointed. And we get discouraged. 
and we get frustrated. And we are just not ourselves under the weight of the world. So what we're asking is that for these six weeks, if you are not involved in a life group, that you would just try it and commit, not forever, as Jason said, not till Jesus comes back, but that you would just commit for six weeks to be in a life group and see if there aren't some of those spiritually significant relationships waiting for you there and just see what God will do. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that's not functioning the way that it was designed and created to function. And that brokenness that it is causes suffering all around us. It's suffering that is in the atmosphere. But the way that we can handle the weight of that suffering is together. You need spiritually significant relationships in your life just like I need them in mine. Because sometimes the cause and effect doesn't make sense and it's not real. And what we think is so unfair is simply the suffering of this world. And we need each other to carry the weight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, there are things that happen around us that we can't make sense of. And we're not even able to, to find the matchup on the timeline that, that helps it be explainable for us. But God, would you, just, um, would you just speak into our lives right now? Would you help us to take a new look at the suffering that we experience and instead of viewing it as punishment from you? Would you help us to realize that it is the, the causality of the sin that is in the world that started all the way back in the garden and has caused the world to be a place of suffering ever since? And God, there isn't an equation that helps us understand why some things happen to some people and the volume of stuff that happens in people's lives. It, it seems unfair to us but it is the atmosphere of this world that we live in. And God, would you just help us to lean into you, to lean into your church, to lean into each other, to know that we have a community right here to help carry the weight. It's all made possible through Jesus Christ who not only came to teach us about these things and help us see things in a new way, but showed us what love means. Showed us what mercy and grace and forgiveness are really all about. And allowed us to be reconnected in a new relationship with you and a paradise that is waiting for us. God, we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
I'm going to ask that you would stand with me right where you are. You may be here this morning and you hear about the love of Jesus and you hear about the forgiveness of Jesus and you hear about this cause and effect of his sacrifice and my salvation and his sacrifice in heaven that is available for you. It's all true. But it's up to you to decide whether you want to follow him or not. He will lead you and guide you through the stuff of this world and the suffering that is here. And he will lead you into paradise. But it's up to you to say yes to Jesus. Say yes to his love, his grace, his forgiveness, to be baptized in his name. And if that's something that you want to do today, we invite you to come as we sing here in just a moment. Maybe you want to be a part of First Christian Church here as we all lean into each other and lean into God to deal with the stuff of this world We'd ask anyone who has those decisions to make to come forward. We have folks who will be here to talk with you and pray with you about those decisions. But for the rest of us, we have this time to celebrate and to to praise, to lift our voices in gratitude to our God. May we spend a time in worship right now.